0: It's the most wonderful time of the year because it's a time that you can spread all of that holiday cheer. Whether you celebrate or not, it's still a good time to buy people gifts. And even if you don't want to buy anybody else something, it's an excuse to buy for yourself. Make sure that you check out the SFB Bookstore. That is Smart Funny and Black's bookstore for all of your favorite Smart Funny and Black and Small Doses items. You can also purchase Small Doses the book in stores now. And all of my people in the Bay, Smart Funny and Black will be headed your way. Yes, NorCal, we are coming to you first for 2020. So make sure to get your tickets at SmartFunnyAndBlack.com to Smart Funny and Black at the Fox Theater in Oakland on February 22nd. And before that, you can catch me New York City. That's right, I'm coming home. January 30th, 31st and February 1st I will be headlining at Caroline's Comedy Club in Times Square You can also get your tickets at smartfunnyandblack.com So basically what I'm trying to tell you is go to smartfunnyandblack.com You can get tickets to stand up, tickets to smartfunnyblack the show and you can get your goods in terms of merch for smartfunnyblack Black, Small Doses and any other witty shit I be saying Now let's get into this show Self help from the hip. Small doses. We're talking that shit. Small doses. And keeping it real. Small doses. With me and N'Silas. It's so funky. <laughs> So in honor of the closing of not only this year, but this decade, we have been counting down 10 things that I learned in these last 10 years. Last week's episode, we talked about me learning that comedy was my home. We talked about realizing that social media doesn't last forever. We talked about Nora Ephron and learning about her and her dopeness and her skill and adeptness at writing rom-coms. We talked about new york and me realizing that new york is a city for young people and young knees. and finally we talked about the fact that white women be lying about who they voted for now let's keep this list going first with the fact that this decade i learned how to care for my natural hair now i think all of us can agree that like Black women's natural hair has always been a topic of discussion, whether we're talking about afros or locks or twist outs, etc. But I really feel like it was in this last decade that we got to see natural hair go from this very niche kind of market to uh, an entire booming industry that had not only products associated with with it, but education. I when I was on a show called Hip Hop POV on MTV, was taken to a place called Hair Rules in New York. It's a salon. It's a natural hair salon run by Anthony Dickey. And that was the beginning of me being exposed to how to take care of natural hair. Finding out that me washing my hair, you know, once every week is fine and not I shouldn't wash it every day. But also learning that if I want to wet my hair, it's not a bad thing. Learning that there's co-washes. Learning that I shouldn't be using shampoo that has alcohol in it and that creates suds because it strips my hair of its natural and necessary moisture and oils. And I should be using cream shampoo. Learning that You know, the best way for me to get my hair cut isn't necessarily to press it straight, but maybe to just wash it and have them cut it, but cut it into a shape that's going to look good when it dries into curls and that not Not everybody everybody can can do that. that. Me learning that putting heat on natural hair can be incredibly detrimental, like that time in 2015 when someone flat ironed my hair right after I had gotten it colored and I lost my natural curl for a year. I remember calling Dickie at Hair Rules in hysterics and booked a flight to go to New York and have him save me. But there was no saving me. No, I had a beach wave for a good year. And only within the last year and a half did my curls come back to full fledgedness. But the natural hair world is really like an entire industry now where they even have all the numbers, you know, of the type of curl and what moisture retention you can have, et cetera. And I remember when I would go on set to different places and they would not know what to do with my hair. They had no idea. They had the products that were for white girls. They'd be trying to curling iron my curls. But now natural hair is so much of a part of the conversation that folks are understanding that, like, they actually have to learn the skill of natural hair. And I'm not expected to have to bring my own products anymore because they have products on deck. And I think for a lot of us that have natural hair, it just really felt great to be a part of the black hair conversation in a real way. And for it not to feel like so avant-garde or, you know, like you're really just like so Afrocentric. Not that there's anything wrong wrong with that, that. But not feeling like othered by choosing to have your natural hair. And we've seen so many women grow their perms out in honor of realizing that like the hair as it grows out of your head is really the best option and opting for healthier ways of managing their hair and as you know like black hair is just such an integral part of the black experience black culture and black womanhood so this is not anything light the fact that natural hair is finally becoming normal (laughs) shouldn't have taken this long but it's great that we finally got here in this decade It was in this decade that I saw my transition from hip-hop to comedy. And one of the things that really prompted it was seeing the music style change and just like the industry change, and not just the business, you know, because we saw record companies basically dissolve, but just seeing the idea of like what what it takes to win and what makes a winner. And I I am a huge hip-hop head. As we record right now, I'm literally sitting staring at a wall that is laden with classic hip-hop albums from Aquemini to Illmatic, uh, The Roots, Do You Want More, To Reasonable Doubt, Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, Survival of the Fittest uh, single from Mob Deep, which is my, my favorite, favorite hip-hop record, record of all, of all time. time. You know, there's a certain aesthetic of, of music that I just come to just feel associated with, uh, not in just terms of being a fan, but in terms of like as a career and as a voice. And then it probably started to change and I just saw that I I felt like my, my aesthetic and my voice just no longer like connected with this new style that was emerging. And as we saw Trap really take off and as we've seen quote unquote mumble rap really hit the ground running, you know, it was just like. I'm not going to say it wasn't sad because it was kind of sad to like feel like I was falling out of love with hip-hop, but it's also just a testament to, this, to the music and its style and to Black Ingenuity that here it is, like, continuing to morph and continuing to find new ways to syncopate and new ways to to apply lyricism and dynamics over beats and to just new ways to contort cadence. And I really feel like that should be acknowledged whether you like it or not is another conversation but i think it's valuable to just acknowledge the fact that hip-hop didn't die (laughs) disco died you know we've seen forms of music die we saw jazz you know get appropriated and commodified and lifted right out of our hands. But we've seen hip hop somehow manage to maintain and to retain. And it may not necessarily be in a means and a style that continues to speak to you if you're a hip hop head. And it may not necessarily be commercially like in a way that you approve of. But I think that it's worth noting that like motherfuckers kept a hold of their shit and it's still here. And as long as it's still here, it allows for things to continue to elevate, continue to evolve. But things are a cycle, right? So I feel like it's going to come right back around. It's only a matter of time in these petty 20s that we see the 90s aesthetic that we all loved, whether it's, you know, Jay and Biggie or Native Tongues return and give us that flavor one more time. This decade, I also learned that I was right about not wanting fame. You know, I've always been in television, it seems like forever, since I was eight years old. And it, it was always a part of my like adulthood that like I was in places where people might recognize me. Right. So I've been on TV. I've been in on on radio, but never in like a consistent fashion, but enough to where people would be like, Hey, aren't you that one girl? Or, Oh, you're on that thing. Right. So I had this like kind of distant cousin relationship to fame where it was like, it was like, you know, I see you at the family reunion (laughs) once a year type of shit. And we, you know, say what's up but I don't necessarily communicate with you and deal with you on a regular basis. But in the last two years, especially, Especially. you know, as Insecure has become a household show, uh, being on Bring the Funny, my special coming out, like I've seen that things have changed in terms of my relationship to fame. And the hardest part of it Is really just realizing that it really is an inevitable if you're working hard in this particular space. And that's That's not not the hardest hardest part. part. I I correct correct myself. myself. The hardest part is that people have no idea what it is to actually be famous, but love to tell you how you're supposed to deal with it. And... You know, there's this idea, there's these rules that people have come up with, you know, like, well, you're famous, so you should be fine with people being disrespectful to you. That's just a byproduct or that's just the give and take that you get. You get money. So we're, so because you get money more than, you know, the average Joe, you're going to also uh, f- trade in your idea of like respect and consideration. Like, that's the thing. People also feel like you don't have boundaries, People feel like because you're famous, you don't have boundaries. And I will present this concept to you. There's a difference between being a public servant and a public figure. You know, a public figure is somebody who presents a piece of work to the public. And by nature of the abil- like the, by nature of their ability or by nature of, you know, the effect of that work or the press, the public becomes aware of the work and by nature of being aware of the work becomes aware of the person. A public servant is somebody who goes to the people and garners their value from the people. A public figure presents something of value to the people. And the people in turn pay that value in kind. Somehow that line got blurred. And people seem to think that if you're a public figure, you owe them in the same way that a public servant does. And they'll tell you, well, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't be famous. The reality is no. No. If it wasn't for the work being created and you all supporting the work, I wouldn't be famous. But it's not a chicken before the egg situation. It's the work. I didn't just show up and ask for you all to show me love. I gave you something and you in kind responded. That's the exchange. Public servants give you their time. They give you their person to be your representative. That's the exchange. And because we don't know that difference for a lot of people, they treat you like you are their servant. They treat you like they own you. They treat you like you are a product and leave comments on your page as if they are leaving an Amazon review of a human being. <laughs> and that shit is crazy. I give a Amanda two stars because I just feel like, you know, the product wasn't as imagined. Uh, I thought that she was going to be a real, just like pretty, uh, easygoing, quiet girl. Turns out she's got all these fucking opinions and really made me question my manhood and my my masculinity. So I'm giving the, I'm giving her two stars um, because I really don't know if this is the type of product that you guys want to engage in. But then somebody else would be like, giving a man five stars, I fucking love her. She's that bitch. <laughs> and you're like, you know this is my page, right? I've had to come to realize that my Instagram page is no longer my page. It's its own network. It's literally like its own channel on a network and I used to be like, why are you commenting on this as if it's not my page? Because it's not anymore, Amanda. They took it. They took your page and made it a forum. You are simply just posting content and people are looking at it. They're not looking at you to talk to you. They're looking at you to talk about you. And you have to come to grips with that. And I don't like Kanye, but I was listening to Get My Money Right the other day because it came on on my iTunes. And he had one line in that song that I had never truly heard until that day. And he said, I'm on the TV talking like it's just you and me. And it was like, yo. I remember that. And I'm going through that because you really don't realize like It's not what you thought it was anymore. You famous famous now. Now. You famous. You famous Now. now. You're not just talking to the people who rock with you. You're talking to people who rock with you. You're talking to people who don't know you. And you're talking to people who can't wait to throw rocks at you. And having that level of awareness is tiring and exhausting. And it ain't by any means something that I ever really, really wanted. But I'm not complaining. I'm just stating the facts. And I realized this decade that whether I want it or not, it is a byproduct and it is par for the course for where I intend to go. And it's a currency. Currency. And that's what I've had to really come to understand. It truly, at the end of the day, is something that I just simply need to use as a currency to afford me more opportunities to create more work and more spaces for others who, like me, do this for the love and not for the fame. I want a Lexus and a Beamer Coupe, a Benz and a Range Rover too, but nothing I do is just for the money. I want a condo with a penthouse A mansion with a guest house But nothing I do Is just for the money I do this for the love There is no try Just do Said by Master Yoda Now of course The first Star Wars trilogy was released long before this decade, but it was in this decade that we saw the culmination of the Star Wars trilogy. And we can once and for all just put all our cards on the tables and say, it is the GOAT. Whether you liked the three mishaps that happened in the 90s, (laughs) well, that started started in the the 90s, 90s or not, you have to admit, J.J. came through in the clutch and got it together. D.B. Weiss and the boys almost fucked it up. However, no, they didn't. And then, add to it, baby fucking Yoda? What? The Mandalorian? First of all, how am I not walking around in a Mandalorian suit every day? Because, like, at this point, it just feels like fashion. And... I know that The Mandalorian leaves some things to be desired, but again, it's Jon Favreau and he can't really do any wrong in my book. Um, And he really is just kind of like a genius. And I just have to believe that Baby Yoda will all make sense. It'll all make sense. Because Star Wars, I learned in this decade, is the greatest of all time. In every galaxy, far, far away, the force is with it. And finally, in conclusion of my top 10 things that I learned this decade, the second decade of the 21st century, the first decade of my 30s. Well, and last, cause my 30s are gonna end soon. The thing that I learned this decade that I ultimately feels like the most important thing that I learned, was the bet on myself? I think that this was the most important thing I learned because the expanse of social media brought an awareness of what everybody else was doing that I had never had to contend with before. And that I had never had to consider as a part of like my path in the same way. You know, like, you know what your friends are doing or, you know, what's in the newspaper But social media made it to where it was just blatantly in your face every goddamn day. Like what this person figured out, what this person accomplished, what this person is winning at, etc. And I don't know about you guys, but there's times where it made me question, what the fuck are you doing? Why, you know, what makes you good enough to try? What makes your ideas significant? What makes anything you're saying Interesting. How are you going to do this? If they can't figure it out, how are you going to? Um, and then, uh, you know, aside of that, it was just the idea of also realizing as I got older and stepped into my 30s, the true like fullness of what it takes to like do certain things and risk, a heightened awareness of risk and a heightened awareness of loss and what it takes to f- and, and what takes from you and away from you when you fail. And that shit right there can make you freeze. It can paralyze you. I know people who are incredibly talented that are just keeping it within because they don't wanna step out unless it's gonna be the bomb, unless it's gonna be perfect, unless it's gonna elevate. But they're not willing to take the chance that you have to take to find out if it's gonna be any of those things. You can't just think it. You have to try it first to see. And the first step of doing that is being able to say, you know what? I trust myself. And I'm a bet on myself. And even if these other motherfuckers don't see it, I I see it. it. And I think that there's been so many times this, this decade where I literally just had to do things out of bravery. Just out of like a trust in the fact that If I fail at this, I got another idea behind it that could be better. And also just like knowing that the resource is within me. And that doesn't mean that I can solve everything. It just means that I'm in touch enough with myself to know that if I'm faltering, I'll know how to exit or I'll know when to exit. Or I'll know who to talk to to help me not have to exit. The betting on yourself also applies to relationships. And being able to really just kind of like have the resolve to say, you know what? This shit is not working. And there will be something better. Because I know that there'll be something better. Because I trust that I'm going to put myself in a situation for something better. And I think that betting on yourself really ends up becoming about less than knowing yourself, but also but believing yourself. And this is what I mean by that. Because I know some of y'all are like, what's the difference? It's like, you can know something and you can believe something. Belief is being able to, you know, have a belief in something without seeing it, right? It's a belief. It's a concept. Knowing something is like, I know this because of empirical proof or of evidence or of experience. But you have to be in a place where you can move with the resolve of knowing without having to know. And that's essentially what faith is, right? right. But you got to have that faith in yourself. That even if I don't know with empirical proof that this is going to work, whether it's breaking up with somebody or going after somebody or chasing a dream or pursuing a, a, a move, etc., cetera, that regardless of whether it's empirical proven or not, that it's that it's worth taking a shot on because at the end of the day, you know and you believe in you. And that's how I move at this point. I'm not saying it's always a quick like, bada, bada bing bada boom, but ultimately, I feel like this decade taught me that there's a point in my ruminating and a point in my caution where I have to stop because I'm no longer making plans. I'm creating obstacles. And at that point is when I have to decide, are Are you going to roll these dice dice on you or are you going to jump ship? ship? And I may not have all the money from the house and I may not be the luckiest, but at the end of the day, I always know that I'm going to roll these dice and I'm going to still have enough left over to go another round on the table. The Last Dose And just like that, 2019 is a wrap. A rizzle. I mean... Can I take some time to get myself some props? Can I, get, can I take some time to get myself some props? <laughs> In this last decade, I shot a show for MTV called Hip Hop POV. I produced not one, not two, but three one-woman shows: Death of the Diva, It's Complicated, a Lyrical Answers to Serious Questions on Love, Mo Betta Woo. I wrote a lecture based on sexism called Side Eye Seminar. Defying and identifying everyday forms of sexism and toured it all over the nation. I went viral hella times, some for positive, some for negative, but for the most part, all effective. I gathered Caitlyn Jenner by her political ponytail. I went on CNN and made (laughs) jiff-worthy faces, rolling my eyes at a man trying to tell us that catcalling is a thing to do. I produced, starred in, wrote, and edited two seasons of a web series called Get Your Life. I wrote a book, small doses. We did this podcast. We did this fucking podcast. We did two years of this podcast. Oh my God, if we did two years of this podcast, we, we have, have done two years, years of small doses. doses. Oh my God. Brandon right and Rebecca are like my best friends. Uh <laughs> we what else? I bought my mama a house. Well, I bought her house. I bought my mama a car. I paid off my college loans. I did a special. I'll be knowing. I did Bring the Funny on NBC. I moved to LA. I got Lando. And then I got Huri. I got birds. They lived with me. They were named Ifura and Aima. And then I gave them away. Because I was moving. And I couldn't bring them. Um, what else happened in this decade? I got my Benz. I got my dream car. I started this decade designing this car on the uh, the uh, Mercedes Benz website. On my like, you know, moments of sadness, and by the end of this decade, I I own it. Um, what else? I live in a house. I live in a house with the laundry inside the house. What this decade I fell in love a couple times. Um, I did insecure four seasons of fucking insecure. Four seasons? We can't even believe it. How? I met LeVar Burton this decade. What? I sang Reading Rainbow to LeVar Burton, to his whole face. I did an art show this decade. Called Warrior Girls and Heroines. And I did it in the hair rules, hair salon that we talked about earlier. Because all the art was like hair-centric. So I did it in a hair salon. So the paintings like hung above the sinks. This decade I created a show for AOL called The Spark on AOL Black Voices. And I also had a show called Diva Y'all on Karma Loop. And I also had a show called Technicolor Lover, which was basically like a reality show about what I was doing. I dropped three albums this decade. Spandex, Rhymes, and Soul, Madame Monochrome, and Technicolor Lover. I put out a song in the last year because niggas do have me fucked up. Niggas got me fucked up. This decade, I mastered Instagram. This decade, I never managed to make it to the White House while Obama was there. I'm still mad about that. (laughs) And this decade, I really, in doing Things I Learned This Week, which was my web series in New York, I really learned the true value of actually taking your time to develop your process and your style. And that is how this decade I ended up making my way to comedy and finding out that stand-up was the place to be. So looking back just as a creative and as a doer, I really feel proud of myself for what I've accomplished this decade. I never really take time to do shit like this. I never take time to really look at where I've been. I kind of always just look at where I'm going. But like I said at the beginning of this, on the first part of this episode, it just it's valuable to do so. Because in this decade, I also made a lot of mistakes. I also learned a lot of things about myself that I didn't like. I started going to therapy. I started uh, realizing the power of meditation. I started learning how to be a better friend, how to be a better daughter. I learned how to be a better girlfriend. And none of this was easy. All of this was by hook or by crook. Um, I'm the kind of learner sometimes where it's like, I gotta, it gotta happen in my fucking face for me or to my face <laughs> for me to be able to really like make the shift but as we continue to grow and continue to elevate you know i'm really proud of myself for having a willingness to know that there's always space to grow and elevate and i may not necessarily have the ability to step in that space at this exact moment sometimes but knowing that i'm going to get there and sometimes you know just just knowing is Half the battle. So I wish all of you all a very happy new year. I hope everybody takes a moment on the first of the year to just reflect and set intentions. And I want to thank you all for continuing to support Small Doses. This podcast has been a labor of love in in many ways. And I want to continue to expand that. By next year by creating more spaces for this podcast to exist and to share with y'all and to exchange with y'all. Thank you all for supporting the book, Small Doses book and, you know, all my shows and Smart, Funny, and Black. Oh, I created Smart, Funny, and Black this decade. Look at that. And just thank you all for your just, just your support. Like, there's been some times over the course of these 10 years where I've definitely felt like I was attacked in a way that made me feel like the world was against me and, like, I just needed to shut up and crawl in my crab shell and just not come back out, but it's because of y'all's love and support and encouragement that I've been able to know that there is value in the work that I do and in the things that I think about and the things that I share with you all. And I want you all to know that I consider you all incredibly valuable beyond your dollars, but more so about just having your consciousness because in this world you feel that and you can feel when there's a energy that is being shared and a plane and a, Vision and a vibration that is being shared amongst others, and I'm really happy that I've been able to share it with you, and that I'm going to continue to share it with you as we go into this new decade. Happy petty twenties. A podcast. A podcast network.